Movement Church, you can grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 62, and uh, you can go ahead, grab your notebook as well, because we're going to continue our sermon series called Prayers to Live By. And today we're talking about this word that many of us feel like maybe we understand. Maybe you're going to automatically log out of this conversation when I say what we're talking about. But chances are that many of us probably struggle with the same way that I do with this word, and that one word is rest. Some of y'all, man, you showed up and you are not rested. Some of you, you needed like a little bit of coffee to get into this moment. And as I was thinking about this idea, this prayer of rest... I was curious to know the history of what they thought rest would look like here in America. And so there were some historians that predicted what rest would look like. One in 1930 with an essay, Economic Possibilities of Our Grandchildren. This economist predicted a 15-hour work week in the 21st century. Anybody working a 15-hour work week? Like anybody like, yes, he's spot on. Yes, one 15-hour work week. You've accomplished all that he set out for his grandchildren. He said this, for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real, his permanent problem, how to occupy the leisure. Right, and so he was wondering, he was thinking that was how it was going to be. And then in 1957, the New York Times, there was an article that said this. He predicted how work would become easier. Our identity would be defined by our hobbies and our family life. He said this, the increasingly automatic nature of many jobs, coupled with a shortening work week, leads to an increasing number of workers to look not to work, but to leisure for satisfaction, meaning, and expression. I don't know about you, but as I look at our modern day society, somehow we become more indoctrinated into the idea of work being the altar where we find our meaning and significance. That for many of us, we feel tired and worn out. Uh, one, one study said this, that a third of Americans have been so caught up in work, life, and kids, they haven't had a day to relax alone in more than three months. It said this, on average, people feel overwhelmingly busy or tired three days a week. And although they agree that self-care should be practiced four days a week, 67% can't stick to that. 49% of Americans report they aren't getting the sleep they need. And 78% say they don't set aside time to relax every day. Is it just my mail that's getting read or is somebody else getting what I'm talking about? You see, because as you're talking about this, you're thinking in your own mind, listen, I have kids to take care of. I have grandkids to take care of. I rush off to work. I have work duties. And as I come home, it's not like I can leave work there because I come home and on my smartphone, on my Apple Watch, on my Samsung, whatever that is, all of a sudden there's all these notifications piling up all the time saying that you need to be doing something else and what you can get to. And so maybe you're a little bit like me that you get to the end of the day and you didn't accomplish as much as you wanted to. You didn't read the Bible that day. You didn't take a shower. Let's be honest. Like you didn't take a shower. Your house is still messy. You feel like you're overwhelmed and you collapse in a pile on the couch watching Netflix or scrolling through social media. Anybody else or am I just by myself? Okay, three of us today. The rest of you all have accomplished. You've made it to the next level. But for many of us, we have a problem with rest. And the problem with rest really extends even to the definition of what is rest. To say, and I have to ask you this question, at the end of maybe even a day off or at the end of what you took as rest, did you feel fulfilled? 
Did you feel like your soul all of a sudden was filled up or did you get to the end of your day with rest and you still felt as frantic and strung out as you did before? And so I wonder what it would look like for us to say, man, what would it look like to actually understand rest? Because I feel like we, we fall in a few categories when it comes to rest. For me, I fall into, I can't rest. And I, it's funny because Holly's in the front seat and, and uh, the front row. And I can feel her looking at me as I'm talking about this. So I fall in the category of, it's hard for me to rest. Uh, I sit down, and as soon as I sit down, I feel like there's a spring on the couch that says, no, 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 you got to go do something. Uh, you need to go read a book. You need to go, you know, clean the house. You can't sit down and rest. You need to go do something. And so for some of us, we feel this compulsion to say, I need to go do something, and we don't know how to rest. On the other side, there are some of us that maybe we feel like we've got rest down pat, when in reality, what we've done is we've just kind of figured out how to laze around. You know, we stayed in our jammies, and we watched TV, and we get to the end of the day, and we don't really feel fulfilled in any meaningful way. So what would it look like? What would it feel like for us to actually feel rested? I just want you to think to yourself right now, when was the last time you felt filled and rested? That you had through maybe a weekend, through a day off, through a, 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 at the end of a night, that you got to the end of that moment and you felt, I feel fulfilled. I feel rested and ready to go into the work week. Or some of us saying what I find myself so often saying is, man, I could have used a three-day. <laughs> I could have used it two day. You get to the end of it and you say, what does rest, what is the idea of rest really all about? The idea of rest is actually written to the fabric of scripture over and over again. Genesis chapter two, we see it's written into the fabric of creation. That God, it says, so the heavens and earth and everything in them were completed. And on the seventh day that God completed the work that he had done, he what? He rested. And so we see that rest is written in the fabric of creation. It's written in the fabric of divine command. Then Exodus chapter 20, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. You're not supposed to do any work, for the Lord made the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he, what? Rested the seventh day. It's written in the fabric of redemption in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. It says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And then Jesus has the audacity to say something like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. And so we begin to see this deep longing inside of us for rest, that even though we go through the motions of rest, are we really feeling like we're fulfilled in any meaningful way? And the psalmist wants to invite us into a different type of rest. And so I want to give you this thought today, and it's this. The thought is this, that, that the idea of rest is to not live from frenetic activity. I'm going to say it one more time. It's to not live from frenetic activity. It's frantic activity, but from deliberate inactivity. And we feel like we're always just like doing things. We're just like continuing to go from one thing to the other. And before you know it, you look back and you say, man, I can't believe it's already 2022. I already can't believe that it's almost February because we're going at such a frenetic pace that it's frantic. And what the Bible invites us into is deliberate inactivity. Because rest 
is restorative for our souls. And so I want to give you four qualities of rest, four qualities of deliberate inactivity, because there's a difference between just inactivity and deliberate inactivity. And deliberate inactivity is something we're doing on purpose, that when we engage with it, it fills our soul up so we actually feel like we're ready to go into the next day. And this is something that I, I can I be honest with you, is a practice for me more than a perfect for me. That I'm just like I'm in process of trying to figure this out, but I notice that as I put these things into practice in my life, that something different begins to happen. My hope is that four qualities of deliberate inactivity. The first one is this. The first quality is that rest is a reset. That rest is a what? Reset. Is a reset. As we talk about this idea of rest being a reset, in verse one it says this: I am at rest in God alone. And rest as a reset allows us a moment to reset the things that are most important in our life, to remind ourselves that God is God and that we are not. Anybody remember on the back of like Game Boys and stuff, they'd have like that red button that you had to like get a, a, a paper clip or something, you had to push it into there and it gave like a reset. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes they have like a few things nowadays, but like nowadays they have like these different ways of resetting your computer, you know, hold these keys down and like reboot and it gives you a reset. And there's something about rest that resets our soul and that reminds us of the things that are most important. Even Jesus practices in Luke chapter five, verse 16, it said this, but he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And it's in the midst of the reset of rest that we remember this beautiful truth that God is God and you are not. In the reset of rest, I remember as I pull away maybe into wilderness for me, that's oftentimes a place where I connect with God, is in the wilderness, is I notice all of a sudden that all of these things happened without me. You know, that the ants are still anting. You know, that the, the deer are still deering. The, the trees are still treeing. The rivers are still rivering. And you know what? I didn't do that. I wasn't like making sure that they were doing all of those things while I was away. And yet when I pull away and I see those things still happening, I'm reminded that if God can take care of the ants and he can take care of the trees and he can take care of the deers and they're all still doing their thing, then can I tell you, you can walk away from your job for one day a week. You can walk away from your responsibility for one, unless you have kids, then you, you're kind of stuck. Uh, you can walk away from uh, most of us for one day a week. But it's this declaration to say, I understand that God is sovereign. God is God. I am not. And so rest is a reset to say, I am a human being, not a human doing. And so when we walk away from our work, it's a declaration to ourselves. I need a reset to remind myself of the things that are most important. Because sometimes I get wrapped up in all of these things. And I think work is most important. I think money is important. I think success is important. I think and all of a sudden, all of those things begin to take priority in my life. And rest is a reminder as I'm with people, as I'm with God, as I'm a whole human being, I'm reminded that God is God and I am not. And rest is a reset. And so we begin to see deliberate rest being this place where we say that rest is a reset. The second thing is this, that rest is trust. Rest is what? Trust. 
rest is trust. You see, because rest, rest isn't easy. I know that it's easy for me to get up here and say, well, listen, just pull away from all the things, like get a reset, just kind of relax from all of life. But there's more to it than that. And we see that rest is trust because we see the psalmist say this, my salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will you all attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless their mouths, but they curse inwardly. And I want you to see the, the difference between these two. On the one side, he talks about God. and He says, God is my stronghold. He's my refuge. He's my salvation. And on the other side, he looks to all the people who look at him and try to tear him down. He says, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm not a leaning wall or a towering fence. You don't understand where my strength comes from. Which I get this. Okay, so in the Labby household, um, we, we bought a house this past year. The fence looked great. Like it was, a, it was a good shape, you know. It was great. And all of a sudden, we got into our house, and the first wind blew, and it blew the fence. It's like, it's, you know, the, what's the thing with like the pigs and the, the wolf, you know, come along blowing the house? It felt like that, where every time I would come inside and I'd be like, Holly, there was another big wind. She'd be like, How did you know? I'm like, More of our fence is gone. Like it just, like, just falls down, right? And so the psalmist understands this, that other people see you, and they see you, and they say, listen, you're too weak. You couldn't possibly make it. The enemy comes along in your life, and the enemy starts to whisper in your ear and says, listen, there's no way. You couldn't possibly stand strong against that. You're too weak to be able to deal with that on your own. You don't have the strength. And the beautiful words of the psalmist is that he comes over here and he says, listen, listen, listen. You don't understand. It's not about what you see on the outside. It's what's happening on the inside. Because it's not about the outside of how I'm weak. It's on the inside. I have a steadfastness in the Lord. On the inside, I have a bedrock that is found in Christ. And for some of us today, we need to understand that the strength doesn't come from the outside. The strength comes from the inside. And rest is trust. What you trust in, you will be able to rest in. And for many of us, we find our rest in, and our trust in ourselves. And that means we can never find true rest. Uh, when we go camping, we go tent camping. And uh, tent camping, anybody know what it feels like to be in a tent? You know, there's something about it. It makes you feel like vulnerable. Like you feel like naked even though you're not. And you try to go to sleep and you're like, but I feel naked. And it's like there's this, there's this tiny bit of fabric between me and a bear. That's always what I think. It's like there's, there's this tiny bit. And so every time that we, you know, whatever you hear, all of a sudden, like you hear everything. There's rustling leaves and there's a squirrel that runs by. You're like, this is it. Like this is, I'm ready to go. Like I'm ready to pray and to meet my maker. And so why? Because in that moment, what do you trust in but that little fabric? I don't know about you, but when I sleep, I heard some of you all say, what's the most peaceful place that you can be in? But you said my bed. Why? Because there's a trust in the building that you're in. There's trust that where you are is safe. And in that same way, when we come to the foundation and to the refuge of God, what the psalmist is saying is, listen, trusting in you is like you sleeping in a tent. But trusting in the refuge is you sleeping in your house and saying, listen, there is something of depth here. There's something of strength here. And I can rest easy because I'm not resting in myself. I'm resting in God. And the question is, when I look at myself and I'm saying, am I resting? And when I confront myself and say, I'm not resting, the reason why I'm not resting is because I'm not trusting in God. That I'm saying, well, listen, I need to figure it out. I need to handle this. I need to get it under control. And prayer is this invitation to rest and say, listen, I know where my stronghold is. And it's in God alone, and I can trust 
And when I trust, the pressure is off me. And so the second quality of rest is this idea of rest is trust. The third thing is that rest is a reminder. And as we come to rest being a reminder, the psalmist says this, rest in God alone, my soul. I love it. Like sometimes we got to like talk to ourselves. I was talking, I was listening to a podcast the other day. They said, listen, sometimes I talk to myself about how, how awesome, you know, in the midst of the problem that like the problem isn't that big of a deal. They say, listen, sometimes when you get to the problem, you need to talk to your problem about how big God is. And I think that's what the psalmist sometimes does. He comes and he says, listen, rest in, in God alone, my soul. He's talking to himself for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and I will not be shaken. My refuge and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. You ever notice that sometimes scripture gives us a little sandwich, right? And so he starts off and he says, listen, there is the stronghold of God and I find my rest in God alone. That's the bread. And then you have the middle where he's like looking at the people around him and he's saying, listen, my enemy is coming against me and I see all of the things that are around me and I say, I, there's no way I could deal with that. And then on the other side, you see more bread and he's like, but I trust in God alone. Some of us, we need a little bit of encouragement sandwich. You know what I mean? Like we need to sandwich our troubles in saying, listen, I'm reminded that I can rest because rest is a reminder of where my salvation comes from. I think sometimes, uh, I don't know about you, but I think um, we live in a culture where our identity is earned, not given. And so what happens is I end up finding myself trying to work for my salvation. And so we start to say, well, listen, I need to do more. I need to work harder. I need to wake up and go on my email. I need to go to sleep at night and go on my email. I need to make my identity through what I'm doing. And our culture is geared around this idea of you want identity, you work for your identity. And so what do we do? We meet somebody. We say, well, what do you do for a living? And we start to talk about all the things that we do for a living. But scripture has it a little different. Scripture says your, your, your identity is not something you earn. Your identity is something you are given. And rest is a reminder that your identity is not in what you do. Your identity is what God says about you. I heard a quote by Jürgen Moltmann, a theologian this past week. I thought it was so good. He said this. He said, you are loved not because you're beautiful, but you're beautiful because you're loved. The idea is this, that for so many of us, we work and we work and we work to try to show ourselves beautiful, to try to say, listen, God, here's all the things that I've done. And God the whole time is saying, listen, you are not loved because you're beautiful, because you brought something to the table. You are beautiful simply because I say you are loved. And it's this difference that when we rest, we remind ourselves that it's not about the things that I do that make me love. It is simply by being given this identity by God that he speaks over you and he says, man, my beloved son my beloved daughter, in you I'm well pleased. This idea that it's a reminder that I can rest and the weight on your chest that you feel and the tension in your shoulders and the anxiety that comes up and this understanding that I have to do more or, do, or be more, try to be able to do these certain things, all of a sudden in rest it's a reminder you don't have to do, you already are. So rest is a reminder. Last one is this that rest is subversive. To be subversive means that you don't realize it, but underneath the surface, something is changing. Underneath the surface, something is shifting. And here's what the psalmist says. He says, common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion. 
Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to the Lord, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord. For you repay each one according to his works. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, what was happening is that there were people who thought they were important. And they began to say, listen, I, I'm important by what I do. And so what do we do in, in 21st century America? We, we look at how many followers we have on Instagram. We look at how many people are following us on social media. We say, I want to be you know, an influencer of influencers. We try to look to see what we can accomplish. Or even maybe some of us, we trust in wealth. And what the psalmist is saying is, listen, your influence, your wealth, don't trust in that because it's unstable. It can be taken away in a moment. Don't set your heart on it. Instead, he's saying, orient your heart on something that you can never have taken away from you, which is that your rest comes from God, that your strength belongs to him. And so rest is subversive to a world that says, listen, you need to do these certain things. You need to behave a certain way. You need to have this amount of money in your bank account. And what the gospel does is it come along and it says, listen, you don't need to trust in those things. The psalmist is like Chick-fil-A at Hobby Lobby. You know, I've, it's one of those blessings and curses. Every time that we go on vacation, I, I pull up to Chick-fil-A and I go through the drive-thru and then all of a sudden your heart drops in your stomach because you realize they're what? They're what? They're closed on Sunday. And every time like and you go to Hobby Lobby and they're closed on Sunday. And it's this beautiful but inconvenient reminder that if Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby can be closed on Sunday, it's this subversive reality to say, listen, you thought that all of your worth was based on what you worked for, but behind the scenes, the subversive message is, listen, you can rest because your work is not who you are, but you can rest in God who actually gives gives you your identity, that you are not a machine. You're a person with an identity and a beautiful son or daughter of God. And so we begin to look at this idea of rest, that we don't have to live from frenetic activity doing and trying to cover up and trying to be all of these things, but we can deliberately rest. And in rest, when we take a deep breath, it's a reset. In rest, it's trusting God. In rest, it is restoration to our soul. In rest, it's subversive. I was reading a book that for many of us, we haven't even taken a deep breath this week. And so sometimes I find a spiritual practice just simply saying, I can take a deep breath. And I can exhale and I can recognize that the weight is not on my shoulders. For some of us, we walked in today and it was frenetic. There were so many things that we felt like we had to accomplish. There were so many things that didn't go the way that they were supposed to go this week. And so we walk in and and we just feel like, man, if I could just get a second of myself, but I know as soon as this service is done, I got a hundred things that I need to get to. We start to build ourselves up, but there's something about just saying, you can rest. You can release the tension in your chest and in your shoulders. You don't have to carry the weight anymore. And Jesus' words all of a sudden mean something so different when he says this. 
come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And rest is a restorative break from all the striving, from all the things, from all the doing. It's a stepping away from it. And rest is really the doorway to communion with God. Sometimes people are like, man, I would love to commune with God. Sometimes even honestly, I, uh, this past week I was challenged because I, I, I was like, man, I have some things to do and I have a set amount of time. And I was like, the easiest thing would be for me to just read my Bible, get my chapters done and then move on with my day. And I was like, oh, I almost missed it. That even I can go to this, this book and I can say, and I can read my chapters or I could, I could spend some time in prayer, but I could miss it. But it's in the stillness that the stillness is a container that then we can meet with God. The stillness is a moment. It's the entryway into communing with him that really if I don't silence my soul, then all of this, even coming to this text can just be empty. But when I silence myself before him, all of a sudden I can commune with him. And it's in the communion with him that we can rest. Would you stand with me?